Hi, I'm Camila Rakimova, the head of Alexa Startups at Amazon, and we are sponsoring this episode of the GeekWire podcast. Alexa Startups collaborates with founders using AI and voice to grow their companies. During the break, you'll hear from one of these founders. Reach out today to learn more at alexastartups.com. You have kind of the ideologies of the companies represented in how they line up for a bus. The Facebook people just try to do it as fast and, and expeditiously as possible. Google people just do it in the most orderly, systematic fashion, which is very similar to how the two companies build software. Even if ultimately the Google employees take longer to get on the bus. Or never get on the bus at all. <laughs> Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg told employees recently that the company's long-term goal is to bring the metaverse to life, helping to create an interconnected world of physical, virtual, and augmented reality spaces that will reshape the way we work, interact with each other, create new things, and generally experience life. So how exactly will Facebook approach such an audacious plan? A new book called Move Fast, How Facebook Builds Software doesn't delve into the metaverse specifically, but in looking at Facebook's engineering practices, the way the company makes stuff, the book examines the digital DNA of the social network, sheds new light on its most infamous motto, and explains the inner workings of a company that wants to reshape the human experience again. Facebook influences the engineering, culture, and economy, not just in its hometown of Menlo Park, but also in its development offices in the Seattle area, where it employs 7,000 people. And of course, ultimately, Facebook's internal practices end up influencing people around the world who use its products. Hello, and welcome to GeekWire. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. We're coming to you from Seattle, where we report each day on what's happening around us in technology, science, and innovation. What happens here matters everywhere, and every week on this show, we talk about some of the biggest and most interesting stories in the news. This week, we go under the hood of Facebook. Our guest, Jeff Meyerson, is the host of the podcast Software Daily, which has featured more than 1,000 interviews with engineers, CEOs, and other leaders in the tech industry over the past five years. A former software developer for companies including Amazon, Jeff is the author of the new book, Move Fast, How Facebook Builds Software, a collaboration with former Facebook engineers Pete Hunt and Nick Schrock that grew out of a series of interviews for the podcast Software Daily. Jeff, it's great to have you here. Todd, it's quite a pleasure. And I should just point out that I'm not sure if you remember this, but probably 10 episodes into Software Engineering Daily, I sent you and the GeekWire team an email asking for essentially like SOS, like help me, I'm a fledgling media company, what the <laughs> hell do I do here? And you basically gave me some very good guidance on how to get early ad sales going, which definitely laid the groundwork for how we actually do ad sales even today. So I, I owe you a debt of gratitude. Oh, that's excellent. Your new book, Move Fast, How Facebook Builds Software, is illuminating. And it's, as I said, based on the interviews that you've done for your podcast, which is known as Software Engineering Daily or Software Daily. It sounds like you're moving toward that new name. I want to talk about Facebook and also learn more about the company and compare and contrast its development approach with Microsoft, Amazon, and Google as a way of really understanding how these companies operate. And that's really what you do in terms of your interviews with software developers from these companies and others. First off, 
One of your collaborators on the book, former Facebook engineer Pete Hunt, writes in the foreword that when he first interviewed at Facebook, his mother had just seen the movie The Social Network, and she told him, you shouldn't work for that Mark Zuckerberg. He doesn't seem like a very nice boy. (laughs) But I want to be clear, you're not making value judgments. That was his way of pointing that out. In this book, you're not judging Facebook's impact on society. You're evaluating the effectiveness of its engineering in achieving its desired outcomes, even if those outcomes might not seem so desirable to people outside the company. Am I right? That's correct. It's very much a strategic exploration, much like somebody would write a a book about a sports team. My goal with Software Daily has always been to learn how to create software companies. And the fastest road I saw to, to learning how to create a software company was to document software companies. And I've been documenting a lot of various companies for the last six years on Software Daily, the podcast. This was a deep inspection of how a company operates, how a particular company operates, that company being Facebook. And the modus operandi for the book is really to just show how Facebook does things so different than any other organization that it's worth understanding both how Facebook itself operates and how Facebook thinks about Facebook. So let's start with Facebook's motto that most people know and that I think you really actually shed new light on in this book. That is, move fast and break things. People tend to focus on the second part of that motto, breaking things. But it's clear from reading the book that the most important part of that motto is moving fast. That is, from my read of your book, the hallmark of Facebook's engineering. And I would actually say that I know that move fast and break things looks great on a poster, but it would actually be more accurate from what I'm reading in your book to say, experiment and iterate no matter the consequences. Am I on the right track? That's a nice reframing. You know, I think Facebook actually gains a lot of identity advantage from the move fast moniker. Maybe it sounds to some people like it's been a little bit poisoned these days. If you use the words move fast, it clearly means that you're also breaking things. But really what it means is that you're just you're just being aggressive in how you develop software and you're conscious of the trade-offs. That's really what move fast and X really means is move fast and be conscious of the trade-offs. The thing to know about Facebook is that it is a creative organization that you can learn from. And you can learn from it as an individual. You can learn from it as somebody who's starting an organization. You can learn from it as a doctor. You can learn from it really as anybody who is participating in the modern knowledge economy. Really, Facebook is a representation of how to do knowledge economics at scale, um, both as a company and as a product organization. It seems to me that one of the lessons is you need to give people freedom, especially engineers. Can you walk us through what that freedom does for Facebook? Yeah. Well, you know my history. I, I, I left Amazon after eight months, and I literally would have gotten let go from Amazon if I would have stayed there for any any longer length of time. So my definition of freedom is a little bit different than the average definition of freedom for somebody at, at one of these companies. What Facebook really does is it pushes the bounds of autonomy within an organization and it builds software to support autonomy or not necessarily autonomy, but employee utility maximization. So if you work at Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg studied psychology 
And he applies that to how he builds his software, how he builds his internal tools, how he builds his company culture. And that's that's pretty nice if you're a Facebook employee because it means that you're taken care of. Your needs are taken care of. It's a great place to work. And you know, you may or may not get a lot of autonomy in your job, but what's what's almost guaranteed is that you'll be pretty happy in your job. You make it clear though that there's another side to this, and that is you get autonomy, but there's also a lot of accountability. If you're not creating the outcome that Facebook wants, ultimately you are held accountable for that. Definitely. There is the word impact. Like literally, if you're having impact then you matter to Facebook. And if you're not having impact, then you don't really matter to Facebook and uh, and they're going to let you go. I do very much get the sense that it's a little bit more of a family than Netflix, right? Like the whole Netflix, you were a sports team, not a family thing withstanding. Um, I really do think f- uh, Facebook is a little bit more familial, even though it's like larger than Netflix, but it's still a sports team. This is one of the lines that really stood out to me. You write, it may seem paradoxical, but at Facebook, individualism drives social cohesion. By encouraging engineers to try new things, the company earns the trust of its employees. Treating employees as creative individuals helps with social health across the company, and it gives rise to unexpected products and solutions. Can you think of any examples from your discussions with Facebook engineers, past and present, where that kind of unexpected solution or product came out of the freedom and experimentation that the company enabled? Yeah, I think the examples are a little bit more incremental than maybe at uh, at Amazon. So, And what I'm saying is, when I think about the bottoms-up innovations of Facebook, I think of things that are kind of incremental, like the like button or Facebook payments or the Facebook ad tech business or React. All these things are pretty cool. They're, in fact, some of them are great. But None of them are like entirely new business lines, except for the advertising thing. But that was sort of like an obvious direction to explore. Facebook's interesting because a lot of its biggest product lines are acquisitions, really like the WhatsApp product line, the Instagram product line. Those are acquisitions. In that way, it it is somewhat similar to Google. And then like relative to Amazon, I feel like Amazon's a little bit better at spinning up independent business lines as as sort of a self-propagative attribute. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by self-propagative attribute? I mean, like Amazon just has systematic innovation down better than anybody else, right? The the company almost like on a clockwork basis spits out new product lines. And most of them don't really generate that much money, but they generate some money. And then occasionally it spits out something that is just gigantic, like Prime or uh, AWS. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because one of the things that struck me reading the book is that Amazon has this principle of single-threaded leadership. If they're starting something new, they give the leader and the team a real focus, the ability to single thread, as they say. It seems like Facebook ends up being a little bit more interconnected and interdependent. Am I reading it right? Yeah, I I think so. I think Facebook is built to have, you know, it's like there's, there's there's a Bezos saying where he says communication is a failure. You've probably heard that one. You know, what does he mean by that, right? Well, basically, he means that an organization should be so self-guiding by virtue of its principles and its automation that it should just naturally walk itself in the right direction without really that much human coordination. I feel like Facebook is more built to have checks and balances of people communicating with one another and opportunistic 
people passing in the halls and synergies happening that way. There's a little bit more so like cross-pollination built into the DNA of the company than Amazon. Amazon's are a little bit more like encouraging of the whole two pizza team mentality. Whereas at Facebook, they may see like two pizza teams as sort of like insular and you're not really blending with the other people in the culture. We're talking with Jeff Meyerson. He is the author of the new book, Move Fast, How Facebook Built Software. And we're going to be comparing what Facebook is like to other companies, Microsoft, Amazon, and Google. And we'll do that right after this break. You're listening to GeekWire. At Hatch, we help people get good sleep. We are very much about actually helping people to fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up ready for the day. Today, we're speaking with Ann Crady Weiss, co-founder of Hatch. Advice I have for founders, generally speaking, is pick something that you're passionate about and pick something that you are uniquely qualified to win doing. The journey of an entrepreneur is the most exciting job I've ever had. And it's also the most terrifying job I've ever had. The reality is it is there are big ups and big downs. And part of, you know, succeeding along a journey like that is making sure that you are really mission driven and you really believe in this large market that you are uniquely situated to win in. And don't take no for an answer. A lot of people will have a lot of opinions. If your idea was obviously going to work, someone else would probably be doing it. So stick with it stick to your guns and uh, you can do it. To learn more about Hatch and other startups using AI and voice to grow their companies, visit alexastartups.com. There's no dominant player and we intend to be that multi-billion dollar company that helps a generation get good sleep. Welcome back. We're talking this week about how Facebook built software with the author of a book with that subtitle. It's called Move Fast. And Jeff Meyerson is speaking with us this week. So Jeff, some of the comparisons and the anecdotes in the book are really fascinating when you start to look, for example, at the comparison between Facebook and Google. One of the examples you use is how Facebook employees line up for a bus and how Google employees line up for a bus. Tell us about that. That's a a very descriptive piece of imagery in the book where there is, you know, reportedly a bus stop for Google employees across the street from a bus stop for Facebook employees. So this used to exist at some point in the history of the two companies. And the Google bus stop would be neatly queued, you know, engineers waiting in line for the big Google buses. And then the Facebook bus stop was just this disoriented disorganized ball of engineers that would just cram onto the bus when the bus arrived. So you have kind of the the ideologies of the companies represented in how they line up for a bus. The Facebook people just try to do it as fast and 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 expeditiously as possible. You know, they make sure that nobody gets, you know, bumped into too hard, but you know, they get it done quickly. And the Google people just do it in the most orderly, systematic fashion, which is very similar to how the two companies build software. Even if ultimately the Google employees take longer to get on the bus, is that what you're saying? Or never get on the bus at all. <laughs> How does that translate into their respective engineering groups, those two mentalities? Google, historically, in its DNA, is all about these white papers. There's the MapReduce white paper, the Google File System white paper. There's a number of other white papers that basically lay out how to do Google stuff. Like really, like Google is an infrastructure company. It's a it's a computer science breakthroughs company in addition to being a search company. 
And in building all these technologies, they basically laid the groundwork for what is the modern world of data infrastructure and data processing and streaming systems and all this stuff. Uh, And it all came out of white papers. Whereas Facebook basically said, we don't care about academia. We don't care about proofs. We don't care about correctness. We don't care if occasionally the login system breaks. Occasionally we take everything offline because we're going to be shipping products much, 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 much faster. We're going to figure everything out. Let's just ship it as soon as possible. And you just get very different products in those Petri dishes. Neither of them is right or wrong. If you're Facebook and you're choosing strategies, you basically have no choice but this kind of blitzkrieg strategy. You're up against Google. Another Amazon, like Jeff Bezos, and is, you know, he's, he's talking about Google. He's like, you, you can't beat Google. Google is like a mountain. Like, you cannot beat it. You can climb it sometimes. You can like make your way around it. But you don't fight a mountain. Like you literally just can't fight a mountain. It's not something that you fight. You move around it. You climb it. You know. So so Facebook's like trying to do that. So to continue your metaphor, I realize we don't have necessarily a bus stop where you have all four companies: Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, and Google lining up. But if you were to insert Amazon and Microsoft into this metaphor, how would you envision? Microsoft and Amazon employees lining up for that bus based on what you know about their cultures uh, from developing software? Well, it's most important to know that Stripe is operating the roads. So it almost, (laughs) it doesn't matter who's getting on the bus stop. Like Stripe is operating the roads. I'm totally serious. So Like, like in terms of payments, payments are actually what really matters? To some extent, yes. But really like culture is what matters. Like who has the best culture? Who is the Borg with the best culture? And that's Stripe. Really? Why do you say that? They have they have a truly optimistic, truly idealistic bent. They have a truly idealistic style approach to planned economy. So you know we saw it with you know we saw the planned economy approach of communism it was a little bit of like a cynical approach to the planned economy. Stripe is more of like an optimistic approach to the planned economy. It's it's a little bit more compelling. A lot of people like it. It's good for a culture. I just think it's like more idealistic than the other corporations, and people are really looking for meaning in their work. You know, to the extent that you're trying to recruit the smartest people, you really want to vend to them the smartest, the smartest vision or the, the most optimistic vision or the most enlightening vision, you know, whatever gets people out of the bed in these times of apathy. So to talk a little bit about Microsoft, one of the anecdotes that you relay in the book is from a, an engineer who went from Microsoft to Facebook. And at Microsoft, this engineer had been very much wrapped up in these long development cycles that Microsoft was known for, particularly back in the day for Windows three years, and then the new product would come out. And he went to Facebook and he worked on the Facebook login product. And it was, I think, like 60 engineers, a very small number. And they were able to essentially come up with, he said it was either creative or very hacky, depending on how you looked at it. But they came up with a solution, a very small team. Is your impression that Microsoft is still that way? Definitely not. You know, I think all of the major tech companies are actually pretty healthy culturally, strategically, you know, economically, name your, name your, uh, what is that? An adverb or whatever. Um, I, I think, um, but I, but here's, here's what I think is about to happen to all these companies is COVID happened. It showed how much better remote work can be. It showed that really remote work is so good that it totally changes the whole idea of what we're doing here. Like, really, what am I trying to do? Like, do I really like need a, a really nice apartment downtown? 
Um, do I really need like a nice speedboat or something? You know, it seems like I'd rather just, you know, work from home and like spend my evenings with my family. Like that just seems better than literally anything I can buy. So a lot of people realize that during the pandemic and then they're starting to realize by extension, like, Hey, I don't actually need a lot of money for much stuff. So they're starting to wonder like, what do they actually do with their time? Like, do they need to go work for this big bureaucratic organization with a giant monolithic legacy application? Like probably not, you know, probably you don't want to do that. So, you know, that's the thing is like our economy sort of built on this rotting software that nobody wants to work on. And, and like, that's the whole reason I left Amazon. Cause I was like, I don't want to work on all that, like crufty cruft. And that's what, that's what most software is these days. So a lot of people are just going to leave and they're going to opt out of this kind of like crappy software experience. And so there's just going to be like, just like, you know, ruins, like software ruins. Like we're just going to start to have like buggy, 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 bad software. Um, or we're going to start to see these companies have to pay people a lot more to keep them. Oh, that's fascinating. It's good because I was actually going to ask you about COVID and how that's changed software engineering. So let's do that. When we come back, you're listening to GeekWire and we'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Todd Bishop from GeekWire and I'm talking this week with Jeff Meyerson. He is the host of the podcast Software Daily and the author of the new book, Move Fast, How Facebook Builds Software. Jeff, you just mentioned that about COVID and how for many lifestyle reasons, clearly the work from home approach is better for not only software engineers, but for others. But then earlier you talked about how Facebook, you know, it's almost like this feels like this little hive where people are bouncing around the hallways, perhaps just spontaneously coming up with ideas and, and connecting. Where is this headed? Can you have that kind of culture in a remote environment? I know Facebook and others, they're talking about sort of a hybrid work environment, some in the office, some at home. Where is this headed overall in the software development world? Facebook will probably be okay, but it's going to need to reconfigure things is what I think. I think they're going to find that nobody wants to go back to work. So you really have this huge open question of what do we do about these HQs? And are we, like, are we doing anything with them? Do we turn them into hotels? Do we turn them into employee hotels? Like you saw the we the WeWork documentary, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So like I feel like WeWork, if they would have just done We Live and focused on it, they would have had a great product. Yeah, like I think We Live is a great product. What do you think? You know, I haven't experienced it myself. I can just tell you that based on that movie, you're talking about the one that was on Hulu, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, it just seems like such a cult at the time, at least under its leadership at the time. I don't know if it seemed destined for failure regardless, but what about We Live struck you as particularly sustainable? Well, if you've got a cult, you want to invite people to come live with it, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, with, if you're a cult, you basically got like product segmentation between the person's work life and the person's home life. So once you've got the product that like gets them into the work life cult, you have to get them into the home life cult. And in order to do that, you sell them We Live. So maybe Facebook should come up with its own like living quarters. That's where you're headed. This is what I was thinking. Like they could do that. I mean, here's the thing, right? Office space is so cheap right now, right? Like what? Let me ask you this. What the heck is going to happen to this to the non-Amazon Seattle skyline or even the Amazon Seattle skyline for that matter? Like who is in those buildings? Nobody's in there. Like this is crazy. Well, 
for starters, a large portion of them are going to end up over in Bellevue, Washington on the east side uh, for reasons related to Seattle government, which is a whole other show. But I agree with you. I think that's probably true of a lot of downtowns where there's not going to be nearly as many people commuting there on a daily basis. And I mean, I think network effects work in reverse, too. What do you mean? Like if you have the lack of a network in a downtown area, we're going to see like cities just get gutted basically, right? Because like there's nobody downtown, there's nobody in the offices, so nobody visits the coffee shops, so nobody visits the boba shops, so nobody visits like the expensive restaurants. And then in the meanwhile, like if, you, if you're in Austin, like traffic is just out your ears. Like, you know, if you're in maybe like, you know... um, I don't know, Belltown or what, what's the hippest area of Seattle? Oh, Capitol Hill. Capitol, Capitol Hill. Hill. You're in Capitol Hill, like everything's occupied. Everything's getting turned into residential or like mixed use stuff. And like, to me, it changes the character of cities in ways that's going to like surprise us meaningfully. Yeah. Occupied has a very different meaning in Capitol Hill. But again, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> Capitol Hill became like its own government or something over yeah. o- over COVID, right? There was like a rebellious group of people that that founded their own government on Capitol Hill. Yeah. It, Didn't that it, happen? Yes. It was during COVID, but it wasn't about COVID. It, it was about uh, larger issues of social justice. But here's, here's my question, though. Absent the innovation of Facebook live or whatever you might call their company dormitories, company town, what's going to happen to software development if people don't want to work together anymore in the same space? I think it gets better, to be honest. So I just started a few software companies uh, recently. And um, I love how you just sort of casually drop that. Is that, that, that'd be a great pickup line, by the way, keep going, (laughs) sorry, keep going. Sorry. (laughs) <laughs> All right. I mean, look, hey, I've, been, I've actually been starting software companies for the last six years, and most of them have, have failed completely. One of them like made me completely broke. Like right after I moved to San Francisco, I was like running a company and I went broke. Um, so definitely like there's no vanity. I, I understand for starting starting companies. I just like to do them. But no, I mean, starting a company with Slack as your operating system is pretty awesome these days. Like, I mean, Slack is a great, great company operating system. So the other thing that really stood out to me in the book along the lines of what you just said is the advantage that so many companies have these days with the tools that are available. You just mentioned Slack, but the one that stood out to me was your example of Amazon Web Services. So Facebook was founded in 2004, AWS in 2006. This is, of course, Amazon's cloud platform that's sort of the ubiquitous backend for any startup out there. It's rare that it's not part of the mix, at least for startups. Of course, there's Azure and Google Cloud, but AWS is kind of the default. Facebook didn't have that advantage when it started. I actually think it could be seen as a long-term advantage to Facebook to not have been able to use AWS at the outset because it was forced to develop its own backend infrastructure, and it has that expertise now, and it's not dependent on Amazon. Am I reading it right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, by not having access to cloud, Facebook was forced to develop essentially its own internal cloud. Are they at a strategic advantage over the Airbnbs and the Dropboxes and the Netflixes of the world because of that? I would say that they are at a strategic advantage, but not for those reasons exactly. You know, Facebook has a stack of advantages. And this is this is why you know the company is really durable and really strong, is it doesn't have advantages in just one particular area. Facebook has has done some very very nice 
uh, strategic decision making over time and just proven it proven to really understand how to double down on its strengths and uh, and just get more juice for the squeeze. Interesting. Okay. Well, last question here for you, Jeff, before we let you go, you talk with software engineers many times a week, multiple times a day. In many cases, you're a former developer for Amazon yourself, as you said, and you're still writing code, I would imagine, right? Not really. I do a lot of design documents. I do a lot of engineering decision-making, but nothing. Um, I don't write code. I program music. That's right. That's right. Tell us again where to find you on Spotify. Uh, it's just the, the Prion, P-R-I-O-N. That's right. Okay, good. I remember this about you. Okay. But you're immersed in this world of software engineering, obviously. Yeah, yeah. If you were a hiring manager, say one that was non-technical at a startup that was going out to recruit an engineer, knowing what you know about the best engineers these days and the current working environment post-COVID, what would be your approach? How would you recruit? I have a really weird recruiting style, and that is that I basically think about things opportunistically, where we have a number of roles that could be done at at the different companies that that we're working on and i try to be aware whenever somebody good sends me an email and says hey i'm interested in working with you i want to be able to work with whoever is good regardless of of what their qualifications are so if somebody comes to me and says hey like i think we should do a venture capital firm together here's my qualifications i want to be able to say like that sounds like a great idea like how can i you know, be of service to you in that endeavor such that you want to give me some equity or something. Right. So like, I just, I just want to be involved with people who are doing cool things. And so I think about recruiting really opportunistically. Okay. I assumed based on your prior answer that you were going to say you would rent them an apartment, uh, the block up from the office. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's alternative strategy to do that. <laughs> Uh, well, this is great. The book is fascinating. It's a great quick read. It's deep though, and lots of insights. And you can tell that this was essentially reported over the course of five years or more of you talking daily with software engineers. Leave us with your, your final thoughts here. What, what would you want people to know about the book, about your podcast and, and about this world of software engineering? The key message I want to drive home is just that Software is really expanding faster than we can capture the value that it's making. So it's really not a competitive world. Anybody can learn to thrive in the world of software. There's just so much opportunity. And really, that's what I want to drive home to people. I just want people to know how much opportunity there is. And, um, and that's whole, like the whole modus operandi of software, software Daily is we want to spread the word about software and help people understand that there's so much leverage to be had, so much opportunity. And this book is really representative of that. Jeff Meyerson is the author of the new book, Move Fast, How Facebook Builds Software. And he is the host of the podcast, Software Daily. Jeff, thanks very much for joining us. Todd, thank you for always supporting me. I'm totally serious about that. You've, uh, you've been really supportive through all my, uh, various failed and successful endeavors and you're consistent in that regard so really thank you i, I so I totally mean that no it's my pleasure you know it's been fun to get to know you i think you have a really unique window into the world of software engineering I, i'm always grateful to be able to talk with you jeff thanks todd 
Thanks for listening to GeekWire. To see all of GeekWire's coverage of science, tech, business, and more, go to geekwire.com and sign up for our daily email newsletter to receive all of our stories. Don't forget to check out our other GeekWire podcasts, Day 2, about everything Amazon, and the GeekWire Health Tech Podcast. And please subscribe, rate, and review the GeekWire Podcast wherever you listen. Jeff, should people search for Software Engineering Daily to subscribe or Software Daily? Either one, actually. But we have both those properties, so you can look for Software Daily. Sounds great. And where can they follow you? What's best? LinkedIn, Twitter? Probably Twitter, Software underscore Daily. Perfect. Our podcast producer is Kurt Milton. Our theme music is by Daniel L.K. Caldwell. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop, and we will talk to you next week on the GeekWire podcast. <laughs>